This morning, again, my will or thy will, looking at James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Before we begin, let's go ahead and pray together. Oh, precious God, we thank you we can come together this morning, rejoice together. We thank you that we can come together and worship you, both in song and in the study of your word together this morning. Oh, God in heaven, we ask that you would reveal yourself more to God, we pray that you would help us to be sensitive to your spirit today. God, help us to put just the emotion in check and help us to abide in your spirit. Father, there are times that we study through James and our, our emotions go for a roller coaster ride. But God, we pray if your spirit brings conviction, that your spirit would also enable action in our lives. That we would be conformed into the image of Christ to bring you glory. So we pray as we study your word that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would teach us and that you would receive all honor and glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This morning, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to James chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible this morning, inside your bulletin will be the text for today's message. So once you get there, if you could please stand and honor the public reading of God's word. James chapter 4, I'll be reading from the ESV, verses 13 through 17 this morning. We begin in verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such a, such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whatever, or excuse me, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So read God's infallible, inerrant, holy word. Please be seated, church. More fluffy words from James, right? <laughs> there will be no tickling of the ears through the study of James or through any proper study of the Scriptures. We must first, before we get into the context here, understand the overarching context of what James has just been speaking about. In chapter 4, verse 10, if you have your Bibles open, you can reference back there. James had said, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. So we're talking about humility. To be humble before God. That God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Last week, if you were with us or if you look back in your Bible, verses 11 and 12, James was talking about how we would use our speech to speak evil about others. No humility in that. Full of pride, full of arrogance. And this morning he continues on. And he continues laying out another area of pride. And that is being self-willed. My way. Living according to my will and not thy will. Thy will is all about God and His glory. But living according to my will is epidemic amongst American Christians. Do you guys know that? That the church in America 
if it was diagnosed from the church around the world, they would look at American Christians and go, man, they live according to their own will. They do as they please. They pursue wealth and riches. And I look around, I don't see anybody in here who looks like Bill Gates. I don't see any Zuckerbergs in here this morning. But on an average, according to the world standards, we're rich. We're rich. We have a lot of things in the world. So it's easy for us to say, well, I'm not the rich of the world. But if we take the average of the world, we definitely are rich. R. Kent Hughes nailed this idea of Americans living according to my will. He nailed it on the head when he said this. He said, so pervasive is our culture's arrogant independence of God that even many, perhaps even most Christians, attend church, marry, choose their vocations, have children, buy and sell homes, expand their portfolios, and numbly ride the currents of culture without substantial reference to the will of God. More Christians never seriously pray about God's will regarding their vocation, family direction, or entertainments than actually seek God's will. What else is there to be said? Let me ask you this. Is that how the Christian should be identified? But even in these opening words of this message, already there's conviction. Because all of us, at some point or another, we just go. With no consideration of what God's will is, we just go. And that's what James is addressing here. He's speaking to those inside the church who would just go and plan and do with no consideration to God's providence, to God's sovereignty, to God's will. Living according to my will and not thy will is also known as practical atheism. Although a person might profess to know God, they do not consider Him or His will in their daily living. I like what R.C. Sproul said about this. He said, What is deadly to the church is when the external forms of religion are maintained while their substance is discarded. This we call practical atheism. Practical atheism appears when we live as if there were no God. i got to say, that should never even be mentioned among Christians. And yet we see it in our scriptures written to the church, to believers. James is writing this to those within the church. James is about to unpack the main point. He starts with the words, come now. A literal translation is, listen up. Listen up. Perk up your ears. He's about to unpack the main point that the sinful nature, what it is, the sinful nature of my will. And that's what we'll look at this morning, the sinful nature of my will. And when I say that, I don't just mean Robert's will. I mean my will versus thy will. Understand the difference. From our passage this morning, we're going to examine three points about the sinful nature of my will. Point number one will be it's focused on self. Point number two, it's fueled by pride. And point number three, it fails to do the right thing. So let's start with the first point. It's focused on self. In verse 13 alone, we see five evidences of self-centered will. 
Now, James was most likely referring to the wealthy merchants in the church that knew how to conduct business and would go around. But it's interesting because this charge here applies to all of us as well. Applies to all of us. Look what he says. Look with me in verse 13. He says, come now, listen up. You who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now stop there. A little self-reflection for a moment. Have we ever made, don't raise your hand, and it's not confession time, but have we ever made some kind of statement like that? Like, hey, I'm going to go do this and do that for this reason, and we do it often. So we're going to take this apart a little bit. First thing we see is we see that my will is about my timing. First thing we see here is today or tomorrow. That's my timing. That's when I decide. My timing. The second that we see is my location, that we will go to such and such a town. I decide where I'm going. We also see my duration, that I'm going to spend a year there, that I'm going to choose how long I'm going to stay. We also see my purpose. We see we're going to go and trade, that I'm going to decide what's going to happen there. And lastly, the fifth thing, we see my goal. I'm going to go there. I'm going to make a profit. Now, some of you look at me like, and what's the big deal? I mean, aren't we supposed to plan? James is not arguing against planning. He's also not arguing about being a good steward of the resources God has given you. He's not saying you shouldn't budget your money. He's not saying any of that. But he's talking about a mindset that's focused on self and that's not focused on God. A mindset that's focused on worldly wisdom and not focused on God's wisdom and God's providence. So naturally, before we all start flogging ourselves, naturally, the will that we have naturally goes to focus on itself. All of us. That's the natural will. And it naturally will be shaped by worldly wisdom. You guys know what pragmatism is? When something works, we go, oh, that must be the right way to do it. It works. But that might not always be God's will. Just because it works doesn't mean it's of God. Here's the mentality of my will. My will would say to itself something like this, I've got this. I've got this. I can do this. Self-reliance and self-assurance are its left and right hands. Self-assurance and self-reliance. Thus it figures on its own what is the best timing, like I said, today or tomorrow. Thus it figures on its own the best location. We're going to go in such and such a town. Thus it figures on the best duration, spend a year. Thus it figures out on its own purpose, we're going to go to trade. And it figures out its own goal, we're going to make a profit. Now, in context, most likely the merchants that were in the church were skilled businessmen. They knew what the best time to travel was. They knew where to go to make the best profit. They knew how much time it would take to make that money. So my question to you, church, isn't that just wisdom? I want you to wrestle now with what James is talking about. Isn't it just wisdom? When they would say, hey, we're going to go to such and such a place on such and such a day, and we're going to make such and such profit because we're skilled businessmen. Isn't that just wisdom? Is there something wrong with being business savvy? 
I mean, what are you supposed to do? Like flip a coin? Like, all right, are we going to go? So what is James addressing here? What is the problem? He's not arguing against making wise business decisions. He's arguing against making decisions with no regards to God at all. That I've got this. That I'm going to do it. That I know what tomorrow holds. And I know how to get this done. And it will happen because of my skill set, my knowledge, my ability. It is arrogance that he's arguing with. It's pride. And this runs so deep in American Christianity. Many people spend more time planning and pursuing their own desires than planning and pursuing God's desires. Many people spend more money investing in their own worldly kingdom than in God's kingdom. Many people spend more energy serving themselves rather than serving others. Although many would never utter the words, my will be done, their actions speak otherwise. I don't think any of us would ever say, my will be done. Unless you're a parent and you told your kid, because I told you so. That's basically what that means. But why? I'm your dad and I told you so. That's basically my will be done. Outside of that, many of us will never confess my will be done. However, I'm sure many of us are guilty that our actions have testified that we have behaved in that manner. Countless times I've heard people tell me, Pastor, I just don't have time for the things of God. Don't have time. They say they're too... That is such a great word. Too busy. Just too busy. They're too busy to faithfully gather on a Sunday morning together. They're too busy to regularly read their Bible and meditate on the Scriptures. Too busy to attend Sunday school. Too busy to attend Bible study. Too busy to attend prayer meetings. Too busy. Too busy. Too busy to schedule time to fellowship with other believers. Too busy. Too busy to minister to others who are in need. Too busy to seek God's will in their life. You know what too busy means? Too busy just means you've chosen how to use your time. Church, did you hear that? When we are too busy, it just means we have already chosen how we're going to use our time. You realize that we all have the same amount of hours in a day. Multiply it over a week or a month, it's the same amount of hours. And if God is sovereign, which he is, God ordains all that time. So when we are too busy, guess what we are saying? My will. Ouch. And I got to tell you, church, I got to a, a time in my life that I was too busy. Too busy. I got too busy. And you know what? Because I was too busy. I was too busy doing what I thought I needed to do and not busy doing what God said I needed to do. That's when we get too busy about our plan, our life, our way. A person living according to their own will will always, will always have difficulty finding time for the things of God. I'll say that again. A person living according to their own will will always have a hard time finding time for the things of God. So the first point of the sinful nature of my will is that it's focused on self. The second point we're going to look at this morning 
is that it's fueled by pride. Boy, this is feeling good so far, right? Whew! Tell you what, I'm sweating up here. Fueled by pride. You'll see it with me in verse 14 through 16. James chapter 4, look in verse 14 through 16. He says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. First thing we see here, starting in verse 14, is pride is revealed through presumption. Presumption. Being presumptuous. We see in verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. It says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. The first reality that James is laying out here is guess what? You have no idea, nor do I, of what's going to happen tomorrow. Stop and hold on to that for a second. We have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. We have no idea. Proverbs 27.1 says this, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. We have no idea. You know, crazy things, we, we call them crazy things. We turn on the news and we see things going on, school shootings. We see all these different things. Do you think those kids planned that day to go to school and have someone come on campus with a gun? They had no idea what that day held for them. Go through history. Go through all the different things. 9-11. Do you think anybody had an idea what was going to happen that day that was up in that building? No. They had no idea what a day would bring. None of us here can definitively say what will happen tomorrow. The reason is we're not omniscient. We're not all-knowing. But you know who is? God is. God is. But when I play out in my arrogance and say this and that's going to happen tomorrow, guess who I'm playing? I'm playing God. Like I know. James is calling us out and says, that's ignorance. It's pride. We should be humbled before the Lord. He's going to say, we should say if the Lord wills. You guys ever heard someone say, God willing? That's the reality. We'll get there in the study this morning. But the second thing James is saying here in this verse the reality he's laying out for us is we don't even know if we'll be alive tomorrow. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. A mist, a vapor. Anybody have hot coffee this morning? When he first poured it, what came out of the top? Right, some steam, right? And then you did your thing, you read your paper, played on your phone, and you came back and guess what? It was gone. Not that quick. Shelly told me she was just in negative 16 degree weather. I'm sure if she was outside, if she breathed, guess what came out? She saw it. Saw that when she breathed, saw that air. And then gone. The vapor. It's quick. James is saying that's what life is like. It's quick. Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5. David says this. He says, Oh Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. 
you know, when we first had our, our first child and through all our children, people would come up and they, you know, people always want to give you advice on how to raise your kids. But there's one piece of advice that we were told over and over again, and it's so true. They said, the time will go by very, very quickly. Your kids will grow up, you'll bat an eye, and they will be grown up. And now I have a senior who's going to be leaving, leaving for college soon, and it went by quick. But it not only applies to our kids, guess what? to us too. Well, the last time you looked in the mirror and said, man, where did time go? Why by so fast? You know, I heard uh, Frank earlier talking to, to Pastor Manny. He asked him how old he was. And Pastor Manny said, I'm 42. And Frank said, man, you're so young. Still a young, young buck. But here's the thing. Pastor Manny's going to look at 42 and go, man, those years went by fast. Frank's going to look at his life and say, man, time went by fast. And you're going to do the same thing. It's like the vapor. You know the only time time excuse me the only time that doesn't go by fast is when you're suffering. That doesn't seem to go by quickly. That seems to take a long time. But through all the suffering in our life, as we look back together, oh, it's so so quick. It goes so fast. We often think, where did the time? Go. David said it's like a mere breath. Like a mere breath. We also know that God knows the numbers of our days, but we do not. Tomorrow is promised to no man. Tomorrow's promised to no man. You know, Jesus told a parable, and in it, he revealed one of the dangers of being presumptuous about tomorrow. We see this in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 16. Speaking of Jesus, it says, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. Now stop. Is this up here for us? Good. I want you to see how many eyes are in here. Okay? As we go through, look how many eyes. Because what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Well, sounds like a plan, right? Business savvy. He knew what to do. Storing up for retirement, he's got a plan. So you guys all have a cheat sheet. We got the rest of it up there. It doesn't end all happy. No, there's no like little Disneyland ending here. But God, verse 20, said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, is there any problem with being business savvy? No, we're supposed to be good stewards of everything God has given us. But the problem is when we forget about God, when he's not in the picture, when I've got this, here's my plan, here's what I am going to do, without ever seeking him and his glory, without ever seeking God and his glory. God, will this bring you glory? God, in this pursuit, will you receive all honor and glory? God, in these things I'm about to do, will people see those things and praise you for them? When those things never come across our minds, 
it's about my will. My will. We also see from verse 15 that pride is revealed by failing to acknowledge God's sovereignty. Pride is revealed by failing to acknowledge God's sovereignty. Verse 15, James says, look, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. How does he start? If the Lord wills, we will live. I don't know if I'll be alive tomorrow. But if the Lord wills and I'm alive, and it be his will that I fill in the blank, then so be it. It's putting God back where he's supposed to be, that he is sovereign over all things. James here is not arguing that you can continue Excuse me, he, James is not arguing that you can continue to live self-willed as long as you learn how to speak some Christianese. Church, you know what Christianese is? It's where you can sound like a Christian. You pick up some of those buzzwords and you can say them. People are like, oh, they must be a Christian because they know, you know, the 50 cent words, you know. They know certain words. They said something about justification or sanctification or holiness or they said, God bless you. They must be a Christian. They even said, Jesus loves you. They are definitely a Christian. Really? Because they uttered a few different words? We have no idea. He is not saying here that if we add to our vocabulary, Lord willing, that everything is good then. It's not just about what comes out of our mouth, it's what comes from the heart. Remember, what's in the heart is what comes out of the mouth. He's already argued that we're but a vapor, that we have no idea what tomorrow holds. But church, take comfort in this. Guess who knows what tomorrow holds? Our Lord does. He does. And although the certainties of tomorrow are uncertain to us, they are known by our Lord. That should be great comfort for those who are His. That although the certainties of tomorrow are uncertain to us, they are known by our Lord. Job chapter 12, verse 10, we read this. In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. As I look around the room, I see all of you still with breath. Guess who has gifted you with that? God has. He's given you breath. And that should be the reminder when you wake up in the morning, your eyes open up and, oh God, you are in complete control. God, you've given me breath. My life is in your hands. You are sovereign, O oh God. The Puritans often used the Latin phrase, Deo Valente. It means God willing. If you ever read anything by the Puritans, you'll also see it ends with D-V. Deo Valente. God willing. Now, they weren't just adding that because it was Christianese. But they believed it. They not only knew it, but they lived it. That they knew that God was in control, that God was sovereign over all things. That God willing these things would happen. And they trusted in the providence of God. Much like the Apostle Paul, when you read his writings, he often wrote, if the Lord wills. Same thing. It wasn't just Christianese that he spoke, but he believed in the sovereignty of God. He believed and trusted in God's providence, much like the Puritan writers. 
when they said God willing, they knew and they trusted in God's providence. Lord willing should never be something that we add flippantly to a statement. Remember, it's not just what comes out of our mouth, but you start in here. Do I truly trust in the sovereignty of God, knowing that he holds me in the palm of his hand, that he orchestrates all things, that he is the author and the finisher of my faith, that he is the creator of all things and sustains all things, that he spoke everything into existence? Do I trust in him? Do you trust? Lord willing. God will. The reality is as we study this, and James says this is how we should speak, we should say, if the Lord wills, that should bring us great comfort. If the Lord wills, this will happen. Because we're reminded that He is the one who is in control. He is the one who is sovereign. He is the one who has created us. He is the one who has created good works for us to walk to, our walk in, and that He might be glorified. Foolish is it of us to not trust him. For those of you going through the reading with us through the after six reading plan, when going through Genesis, the beginning of the year, God spoke the world into existence. Spoke. And yet, I can't trust him with tomorrow? Are you kidding me? God holds all things together. Do you know anything about atoms? About even that chair you sit on right there? That atoms are locked closely together, but they're not glued together. They're jam-packed. That if God releases them, you're done. God is holding them all together. Everything together he holds. James already argued that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Every good and perfect gift. May we be a people who finds hope. May we be a people that finds security in believing that all things are God willing. God's in control. May we humbly acknowledge God's sovereignty and not only acknowledge it, church, may we rejoice in it. Thank you, Lord, that you are in complete control, that I don't have to fear, I don't have to worry, that you, God, are in control of all things, that you, God, have a plan. And it's for your glory and my good. Next thing we see in verse 16 is we see pride is revealed through boasting. Oh, how if we only just kept our mouths shut, right? I think the proverb says, even the fool looks wise when he opens not his mouth. But yet, we go and boast about tomorrow. What we're going to go do? What's going to happen? We see in verse 16, James says, as it is, you boast in your, ouch, you boast in your arrogance. And he says, all such boasting is evil. John Piper said it straight. He said this, boasting is the outward form of the inner condition of pride. Ouch. He said, well, what's the big deal? I want to I go over it one more time. What's the big deal about saying what's going to happen tomorrow? big deal is that I don't know. And I am taking the place of God like I am omniscient and I know all things when only He does. Instead of saying, Lord willing, this will happen. When we boast about tomorrow as though we know what will happen, 
we are demonstrating what's inside, which is pride. Our arrogance is gushing out of our mouths like floodwaters. And church, I got to tell you and tell myself, this is not okay. It's not okay. The reason James pens is to say this is not okay. It is not okay for us to think we know what's going to take place. That we must at all times acknowledge God in every way. It's not okay to be full of pride. James has already said in chapter 4, verse 6, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God does what? He opposes the proud. You get an image there? Opposing? Everybody like playing with magnets? You put them one way with the poles, and guess what? They That's humility. We're one. But you flip them around, poles go the other way, and they push against each other. That's pride. And God opposes the proud. Resist them. To boast as though we are omniscient is evil, the scriptures declare. And God does not take this lightly. Proverbs 16.5, look with me at this. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Man, I'll tell you what, so far, I'm not too encouraged by all this. So far, I'm guilty. I don't know about you. Anybody boasted in tomorrow before? Anybody made plans of what you're going to do this summer or next year without any consideration of God? guilty. Everyone who is arrogant and hard is an abomination to the Lord. Does that sound light and fluffy? Here's the beauty. That humility comes through turning to Christ and repenting. Humility comes through confession that we have sinned. That God is sovereign. That God is to be trusted. That there's instant reconciliation, restoration with God through confession and repentance. There is great hope here. It's not for us to sit here and just go, well, let me flog myself a few more times as I go through James. That does us no good. It's to lead us to repentance for the glory of God. It moves us on to our third point. Let's first recap the first two. One, the sinful nature of my will is focused on self. Two, it's fueled by pride. And lastly, it fails to do the right thing. Point number three, it fails to do the right thing. We see this in verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. If you have your Bibles open, you're taking notes, or you like writing in your Bible, I want you to make note of three parts of verse 17. You'll see, first part, they know the right thing to do. See that? Right there, written. Second part, fails to do it. And the last part, for him, it is sin. See, if we're speaking generally, there are two types of sin. There are the sin of commission, meaning the things that we do, and also the sins of omission, meaning the things we fail to do. Do you realize that God has created us for good works, that we should walk in them? Let's go on a very basic level here. Scripture says that we were in darkness, that God made us light. And the question we should naturally ask, why? Why would God do that? 
Why would God save a wretch like me? When I fled in rebellion, when I sinned against Him, why would He save me? For His great mercy. For His glory. That He would do, do things in me and through me for His glory. And I'm to walk in those things. That He's created for the foundation of the world. He's created those things for me to walk in. And guess what, believer? He's done the same for you. He's created good works for you to walk in. That you would bring Him glory. When we focus on sin or we say, i got to avoid sinning, most of us only think of sins of commission. i got to avoid doing things that I know are bad. I need to avoid doing things that are sin. And that's what we focus on. Just flee from those things. But sadly, many of us don't think about, what am I supposed to be doing? We just try to avoid the things we know we ought not do, but what ought we to be doing? James here says, if you know what you ought to be doing and you don't do it, guess what? You had sin. That is the sin of omission. And I would say there's much, much more sin of omission than there is sin of commission. That many of us fail to do what God has called us to do, what God's will is for our life, because of what James is talking about here. We get stuck in my will instead of thy will. We get stuck in the mode of, I got this, I can handle this. Instead of, God, how might you be glorified in my life? God, what have you ordained for this day in history through my life? God, how might you use me this day to elevate the name of Jesus Christ? Sadly, that doesn't often come off our lips. Sadly, it's, oh man, I'm running late, i got to go. That's what runs off our lips. I'm going to be late. Legan Duncan said this. He said, knowing what we ought to do and failing to do it is one of the best indicators of worldliness because our failing to do it is not a matter of ignorance but of willful disobedience lazy disobedience and lack of humility wow that's a packed statement disobedience not walking in the will of God not living in a manner that would bring him glory disobedience now let me remind you again of the beautiful truth. That we are all sinners. You say, well, that's beautiful. Well, let me finish. We have all sinned against a holy God. And we all rightfully deserve the wrath of God. That's justice. We've sinned against a holy God, and justice would be we are punished by that sin. And yet, out of his love, God would demonstrate his love by sending his only son, Jesus Christ, who would die in our place, who would be tortured in our place, who would have God's full wrath poured upon him so that we might go free, so that we would be forgiven of sin. That is a glorious truth. That is a glorious truth. And we need to be reminded of the gospel over over again. Because when we forget, we quickly get back to, oh, it's my will. Just do as I please. But when we're reminded that I was a dead man walking, but God, out of His love, saved me, took me from darkness and made me light, not of anything of my own accord, not that I earned it or deserved it, but because He's a God of mercy and grace. I am humbled before Him. 
believer, you should be too. Before you think, well, I'm just, you know, that, that special creation of God. Well, guess what? Yes, we are special in the fact that he made us in his image. We are a special creation. But we're a creation that also rebelled against him. But he showed us grace. And he showed us mercy. And our lives should now be evidence of the grace of God. I love the way that Paul prayed for the believers in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, he writes, And so from the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking, here's the prayer, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And here's what that looks like. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Church, I want you to look at those things. It's praying for God's will, not my will, but thy will be done. And thy will is that I would walk in a manner that's worthy of the cross of Christ. To walk worthy. Oh, church, if we would just wake up in the morning and say, Oh, Lord, help me today to walk in a manner that's worthy of the cross of Jesus Christ. Thy will be done. Oh, Lord, help me today to be fully pleasing in your sight. Would that be our prayer? Oh, Lord, help me this day to bear fruit in every good work. And, oh, Lord, help me to increase in the knowledge of you. Church, that's a prayer you could pray. And not just one time, but constantly. Oh, Lord, help. Because, Lord, when I am left alone and I'm, Lord, I'm left to my own ways, it's my will. We sang earlier, Lord, I need you. Like I said, every hour, guess what? Every second, every nanosecond, I need you. And the glorious news is as Christ went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, the Bible says that if we would trust in what Christ has done, that if we would turn, repent is the word, turn from our ways and turn to God, turn from a life of sin and turn to God, that we would receive the gift of everlasting life. That we would receive salvation. But church, it's better than that. We also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So all these things we go through, if we were left on our own, there is no way that we could respond righteously to what James is saying. We would try and we would fail miserably. But in faith and repentance, in trusting in Christ, we also get the helper of the Holy Spirit, who is there to enable us to do all that God has commanded us to do. That God would be glorified. That the name of Jesus Christ would be exalted and lifted high. Guess what? That's our charge. If you're here this morning and you have professed Christ as Lord and Savior, which means you have made him Lord, which means, by the way, it's kind of even a funny phrase. We can't make him Lord. He is already Lord. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. But when the Spirit of God draws you in repentance and faith, you submit to his will. That you are no longer your own. That you were bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, church, how we have to be reminded of these elementary truths. If you're here this morning and say, hey, I don't even know what all this is about. I hear about Christ and I hear about, you know, we're not supposed to be prideful. 
Know this, Christ died so that you might stand before God and be justified. Meaning you could stand before God as though you never sinned. That you could stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But when Jesus came on the scene, he did not just say, hey, raise your hand and repeat a prayer. Jesus never said that, nor did any of the disciples. Jesus never said, hey, walk up here and recite this prayer I'm about to tell you. Jesus said, repent and believe. That is it. That is the message that goes out today. That if the Spirit is drawing you to Christ, it is to repent, turn from your way, and turn to Christ. It is to put your faith, your trust in what Christ has done. Look, the reality, church, is you can strive as much as you want in the flesh. You try to be good enough. Try to get better. And a hope and wish that maybe God will accept you on that day of judgment. And the Bible says it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. You can't be good enough. You can't work hard enough. And if you could, church, Christ would not have had to die. But because we're all guilty before a holy God, Christ will have paid the penalty for us. If we would only turn and receive him, follow him, submit to him. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. Church, when you follow Christ, it doesn't mean everything is peachy and perfect. Like you turn on your television on a Sunday morning and get some so-called Christian TV, and they're going to tell you everything's going to be perfect and peachy. Well, guess what? Read your Bibles. Those who were closest to Christ died as martyrs. They gave their lives for the case of the cross. They went through much suffering. But God promises he will use that suffering for our good and his glory. That it's not wasted suffering. That there's good that comes through it. If you're here this morning, I plead with you. Turn to Christ. Stop trying to work on your own. Stop trying to be good enough and hoping that God will somehow say, you know what, your good outweighs your bad. It will not happen. It's like having one water bottle. Look, there's a bunch of good water. If I put one drop of cyanide in there, guess what? It's all bad. No matter how good you think you are, you have sin in you. And the only way for that sin to be cleansed and removed is through Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. If you're here today and the Spirit is drawing you, today is the day to repent and trust Jesus Christ. Believer, if you are here today and today's message is convicting, you're challenged with today, be encouraged that God is sovereign, that God is in control of tomorrow, that I can trust when I say, Lord willing, that God knows what's best for tomorrow. That I don't have to worry about, oh no, well, I'm not sure. God's got details. God will take care of it. And as I plan and as I purpose for the future, I seek the Lord. God, help me. Give me wisdom as I purpose what to look for, what to go after. That in it, God, you would receive honor and glory. Believer, may that be our life. Oh God, we humbly come before you as we're reminded once again of your amazing grace, your amazing mercy, your amazing love. That God, as we look at scriptures that show us just how much, even as believers, that we continue 
to need your grace. That we need grace upon grace. God, we are so thankful for what Christ has done in our behalf. God, I pray this morning in this place, if there's anyone in this place that does not know you, or better yet, that is not known by you, someone that Christ would look at on the day of judgment and say, depart from me, I never knew you, that today would be the day, O oh God, that your spirit draws them in repentance and faith. God, I pray that they would go from darkness to light. God, their life would be evidence of your grace and mercy. God, for us this morning who have responded in repentance and faith, those of us who have been sealed by your Spirit, God, help us to walk, being mindful of you all the time, waking up in the morning, asking you, O Lord, to help us walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Asking you, O Lord, to help us. Ask you, O Lord, to continue to increase our knowledge of you, that you would continue to reveal yourself to us. God, you are an amazing God. You are a patient God. You are a loving God. We praise you for it. You are sovereign over all things, and we can trust you. We pray these things in Jesus.